Welcome to Wallachia. Previously in Wallachia, Marley has returned home to her village of Kumpana, reuniting with her family and friends Johan and Kwasi. The village receives a new visitor, a boyer from Transylvania named Count Dracula. Ion goes to his job at the castle to receive their new guest. The next night, another castle worker, Cornell, is murdered by an unseen assailant. Chapter 3. Rumors, Lamentations, and Thunderstorms Dimitri ran into the church's small office without knocking and started speaking to an empty desk. In one very fast burst, the young altar server said, Father, Father, they found I was in the yard on a break from school, and then he came, and he said, he told me to go get you. He noticed Abraham wasn't at his desk, turned and saw him on the couch, and started to repeat the story. Abraham had intended to spend an hour or so going over the week's readings. He'd come in and sat down for a minute, but still behind in his sleep after staying up all night at Sunday's feast, had felt the couch looked like a more appealing place for contemplation. He didn't think he'd slept long. Slow down, what's happened? I was at school, in the tower. Doamna Claudia gave us our mid-morning break, so we were outside playing, and then they ran into the yard and told me to come get you. Dimitri, please, who asked you to get me? For what? They found someone. They think... They think there's been a murder. Abraham sat upright. A murder. In the 15 years he'd been here, he'd buried a number of people, but there had never been a murder. Still, he knew the custom. They wanted you to get me so I can decide if the body can be moved. Yes, father. Where is it? On the steps going up to the castle. Thank you, Dimitri. Please fetch me a blanket from the storeroom, then best you run back to your teacher. When a person died, tradition dictated that the body should be washed immediately, then laid flat until a coffin could be brought in. The body would lie in the coffin at home until the funeral, typically for two nights. If the person hadn't died at home, the body should be brought home right away to be washed. Unless it had been a violent death. If there were a concern that the person had died outside of God's light, there would be no burial, no lamentations, no wake, no feast. The body would be buried wherever it had been discovered, and its only marker would be a bundle of twigs and thorns. It was a Romanian custom, and not one of Abraham's favorites. The readings for this very week said that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. But Abraham had learned very quickly when he'd moved to Wallachia that their customs were not to be undermined, so he strapped on his sandals, opened the church's side door, and looked up at the castle. If it really were a murder, Domnul Negrescu, as is Pravnik, would have to be involved. Abraham would decide whether the body could be moved, and he couldn't imagine a circumstance where he wouldn't allow it. And then there would have to be some sort of investigation. Most legal problems that didn't involve fistfights were simple disputes over theft or unpaid taxes. Abraham wasn't sure what a murder investigation would look like. Dumitri returned with the blanket, and Abraham stepped out of the church into the courtyard. The thick stone walls rose on every side, creating the effect of solitude. From many places in the village, one could look up and see the buildings in the churchyard rising above its walls, but from the hill, none of the village was in view. Inside the walls were the church itself, the rectory where the clergy lived, and another building that featured a tall tower overlooking the rest of the village. Duomna Claudia, the schoolmistress, lived there and taught classes in the tower. All of Kumpana's non-Romani children went to school in the tower from age 5 to 13. Claudia was just calling the children in to resume her class when she saw him step out of the church. She asked one of the older girls to gather the children and take them inside, then came over to him. Father, what's happened? The children are saying, I don't know, Claudia. Someone has died. I'm going up now to see. I'm sure the children will be talking. I'll come speak with them when I can. I imagine... Abraham sighed. A list was forming in his head of all the things that would need to be done. Most of it could wait a little while. Yes, asked Claudia. No, nothing yet. I was going to ask you to have one of the older boys go get... Go get a coffin from you, Jim. But I suppose it needs to wait until I've decided the body can be moved. 
It took Claudia just a moment to get why Abraham would be making such a decision. When she did, he saw her eyes go wide briefly. She said, oh, and made the sign of the cross. Abraham gave another sigh, then turned and walked toward the wall's gates. Coming down the hill away from the church, Rizion caught his eye and walked briskly toward him. Kumpana, at present, had four residents named Eon. Young Eon, who was ironically well past middle age, but had been given the nickname as a boy to distinguish him from another Eon, now long gone. Eon, the young man who worked in the castle, who, there being no other unnicknamed Eons when he'd come along, had been able to go by just plain Eon. Eon Robert, a baby aged six months, and Rizion. To the children, he was Nea Eon. Adults called him Rizion because of his distinctive laugh, Riz being a Wallachian version of the word for laugh. As village nicknames went, being named for your relative age or for your laugh was getting off pretty easy. Some got stuck with descriptors based on parts of their anatomy or their resemblance to farm animals. It didn't surprise Abraham to find Rizion here. If there were a scandal, something to gawk at or gossip to engage in, Rizion could be counted on to appear out of thin air. Father, have you heard, hmm? Eon and Quasi found him, said Rizion. I'm on my way there. Do you know who it is? They're saying it's Andre's boy. Quasi came running out of the lower gate, and he told... Rizion then uttered a long string of names, starting with how Lucia, Eon, and Quasi had found a dead body on the stairs, how they'd told someone who'd told someone else who'd decided they needed to get a priest. Abraham was so amazed at how quickly word had gotten around, despite not being terribly interested in the precise recounting of who told whom, that he'd nearly missed the end of Rizion's story, saying it was a werewolf. Father Abraham stopped walking and turned to look at Rizion, who was clearly waiting for him to say something. He put a hand in his shoulder, looked the man in the eyes, and said, Forgive me, say that last part again, please. Last night was the full moon, and they say Cornell had claw marks on him. Last night was the full moon, and they say Cornell had claw marks on him. My friend, whatever happened, it wasn't a werewolf. There are no werewolves. I'll go see what this is all about, but don't worry any more about this, and please let's not have more talk until we know a little bit more. He knew that was unlikely. As he came through the stairway gate, he found Eon and Kwasi sitting together a few steps up, holding hands and looking upset. He sat down next to them, put his hands over theirs, and bowed his head silently. After a moment, he said, Tell me what happened. Eon took a deep breath, then went through the events of the morning. He'd been on his way up to the castle, heard the scream, saw Lucia running down the stairs, and then he and Kwasi had seen Cornell. What then? Well, we thought we should tell someone, said Kwasi. Nay, Andre, obviously, Cornell is his was his son, but then... Then we came back down the stairs and saw Lucia talking to Tante Maria and Tante Angela, said Eon. And when she told him about the, the cuts on his back, they said we couldn't move him. They said something about the full moon, and... Could it really be a werewolf, asked Kwasi. Is Cornell going to turn into a werewolf? No, there's no such thing as werewolves, said Abraham. He took a deep breath, then said, You have both seen tragedy today, and I'm sure the Ispravnik will want to know all the details so he can find whoever did this. But for now, Kwasi, please find Nea Andre and ask him to come here. Tell him simply that it's about his son. I'll be waiting here for him. Eon, please take me up the stairs to Cornell, then go to the castle and tell Domnul Negascrew what you've told me. Kwasi nodded and left. Will the stairs be Spurcat? Eon asked as the two climbed the steps. He was worried the stairway would come to be considered unclean and need to be avoided. Abraham stopped, turned to Eon, and looked the young man in the eyes. No one dies outside the light of God, no matter how violent their death was. Whatever happened to poor Cornell, he's with Jesus now. It's our job to pay him the respect he deserves. I would never allow the village to simply bury him where he fell, to mark his grave only with a handful of twigs. Eon nodded. He wasn't the young boy who used to run around with Marley and pull little pranks anymore. He was looking to Abraham for guidance. Eon, I try to be respectful of your... Abraham caught himself before he said, superstitions. Your customs here in Wallachia. We of course had our own insteria, 
but this one involving death I can never support. Thursday, I will say a massive resurrection for Cornell, and then he will rest in the cemetery below the hill like everyone else. This seemed easy on. Abraham wondered how much he had really believed the superstitions about violent deaths. Did he, or the other villagers, truly worry that Cornell's ghost would return as a strigoi and haunt the village if his body were moved? How would he convince them this was as impossible as men turning into wolves at the full moon? Eon showed Abraham up to the place where Cornell was lying, avoiding looking as much as possible. Here, help me spread this over him, said Abraham, unfolding the blanket he'd brought from the church. Once they'd covered him, Abraham turned to Eon again. You knew him. You worked at the castle together? Eon nodded. I don't understand this. Why would someone... He was such a gentle, well-meaning, clumsy... Maybe he just fell? I'm sure we'll find out more in time. Right now, please go up to the castle and inform Izpravnik Negrescu. Abraham used the official title to remind Eon that their local lord was in charge of law in the district. Having a purpose, helping to see justice done, would give Eon a way to cope in the short term. I'd imagine that Cornell will lie tonight in his father's house. He'll need clothes. Please have someone send them down. His family can come collect his remaining belongings another time. You weren't related, but you should be there tomorrow night. I'll check in as well. Abraham sat with Cornell for somewhere around a half an hour, then heard someone coming down the stairs. He rose to greet Vlad, Domnul Negrescu's aide. Father, said Vlad, extending his hand, I'm sorry to have to see you under these circumstances. Eon told us about Cornell. Domnul Negrescu asked me to examine him. Ask you? I served when the Russians invaded. I trained as a medic for a short time. Yes, I'd forgotten, or I didn't realize you had been a medic. Vlad knelt and pulled back the blanket to examine Cornell. Well, it's pretty clear from his neck that he fell, and that would be how he died. Yes, said Abraham. You should know, people are already saying, they think it could have been. Eon mentioned the scratches on his back, said Vlad. He looked up at Abraham. I can guess what people are saying. He moved his head close to the gashes along the man's back. Four of them, pretty deep. A wolf could have done this. Could it have been a bear, or something else? We have seen brown bears recently. They tried to trap one for the menagerie, but he escaped. But they have five claws. The cuts are clean enough that it could have been a knife or a sword, but I don't know how a person would get him that many times on the back. He'd have turned around. So it could have been murder then. Vlad replaced the blanket, paused, then stood up. Domnu Negescrew will, I'm sure, have questions for the castle staff and Cornell's family. You'll help them get him home? Yes, I'm expecting Andre any minute now. Vlad gave a weak smile. I'll head back up now. They shook hands, and he turned back toward the castle. After just another minute, Cornell's father, Andre, came up the stairs. Abraham had dreaded dealing with this side of the vocation when he was newly ordained. Now, while he wouldn't say he looked forward to it, he'd come to think of being able to be there for someone as a gift. Andre put on a brave face. Abraham pulled back the blanket to reveal the man's son, but was careful to leave the broken neck covered. Andre looked for perhaps half a minute, then gestured that the blanket be replaced. Andre, you know how sorry I am. Cornell was such a gentle young man. Andre, you know how sorry I am. Cornell was such a gentle young man. He didn't say anything but nodded, trying to keep his composure. Will he lie in your house? Andre tried to make a sound, but only a wet gulp came out. He nodded. I'll stay with him if you'd like to go get a wagon. My my brother, Andre pointed down the stairs. Good. Go get Soren. I'll be right here. Andre returned with his brother, Soren, in a long, wide board. The three men carried Cornell down the stairs to a wagon, and Andre drove off toward his house. A small crowd had gathered near the gate. They stood in silence as the horses pulled the wagon away. Then the questions began. Father, is it true? Did he have claw marks? It was a full moon. Was it a prequelich? Is it okay to move him? Will his spirit be safe? Everyone, please, let's all breathe for a moment and say a prayer for the soul of young Cornell. Once a full minute of silence had passed, Abraham continued. 
I do not know what happened to that nice young man last night, but I can assure you it was not a werewolf. Now please, let's go about our day. Andre and Doina will need your help to carry their sorrow. If you'd like to talk, I live on the hill over there. It wasn't much of a joke, but it got a small laugh and relieved some of the tension. Abraham knew it wouldn't matter. He'd seen the marks on the man's back. Lucia, Quasi, and Eon had too. Whoever washed the body would as well. He didn't know what had really caused those gashes, but he knew it was the sort of thing he'd started his new life in this village to avoid. The moon lit up the clouds as Abraham turned the corner on his way to Andre's house. Still a few doors away, he could hear Tante Iwana singing the bocette. He paused for a minute to listen to the woman's voice. Waken, waken from thy trance, speak a word or cast a glance, taken from us while so young, awaken at the words I've sung. Other women would have taken turns singing the lamentations during the day. As she was Cornell's grandmother, they'd saved the evening for Tante Iwana as a place of honor. Tomorrow, before the funeral, Abraham would visit the house once more to recite the psalms, pour wine over the body, and help nail the coffin shut. Tonight, the lamentations were for women only. Abraham led himself into the house and went upstairs to the bedroom to join the men. The mirror in the hall outside the room had been draped in black fabric to ensure the deceased spirit would not be distracted. Inside, the bed had been moved aside and a table had been brought in. Andre was there along with his brother Soren, Eugen the carpenter, and Eon. They were keeping the privegia, watching over the body in the house and celebrating Cornell's life. Should have seen Stefan. He was furious, shaking. It was like his body didn't know what to do with all that anger, said Eon in the middle of a story. That sounds like my nephew, said Eugen, smiling. And we were all just staring at him. We didn't know what to do. One of the cooks had left a knife on the table, and I was more than little sure Stefan was going to go for it. I was getting ready to jump in front of Cornell if I had to. Andre noticed that Abraham had arrived and stood. Father, welcome, he said. Please go on, said Abraham to Eon, his hands outstretched. Oh, I was just telling Nea Eugen about the time Stefan had been trying to go out with one of the girls in the village. It had been going well, and then suddenly she lost interest, and then it came out that Cornell had told her. Eon hesitated for a moment. People tended not to want to include the juicier details of stories when a priest was around. Well, he'd shared an embarrassing story about Stefan with her, and Stefan found out. Anyway, we were all in the common room when he found Cornell, and he just stood there for, well, I don't know how long, and then he burst out laughing, and that was it. They all laughed. I thought he was going to ki- Eon stopped himself, presumably before saying, kill Cornell. He looked around for a moment, then said, you just missed him, father. Stefan, I mean. He was here all afternoon. Several empty bottles of wine had been collected on a dresser. Between Eugen and Eon, a paths and peasants game had been laid out, but it seemed that play had been suspended in favor of storytelling. Eon's pieces were much farther from the goal than Eugen's. Abraham came over and picked up a soldier piece. He considered it for a moment, then placed it back down on the board. Remind me sometime to tell you more about this game, he said to Eon. Then, to the rest of the group, I'm glad to see you all here celebrating Cornell. Soren handed a glass of wine to Abraham. He held it up in a salute, then took a sip. The other men already had glasses, except for Eugen, who was drinking tea. The group would stay all night, keeping vigil. May I, asked Father Abraham, nodding toward the game board. Oh, please, if you'd like. My strategy was just about to pay off, but you're welcome to take over, said Eon with a grim. Abraham sat down and considered the board, looking for a way to salvage Eon's game. Eugen made his move, and the group resumed their conversation. Through the window, the sound of soft rain began. He said it would, said Eugen quietly. Eon and Soren were sitting with their backs to Abraham and Eugen. Andre was leaning against the bed, telling a famous story about his uncle getting his cart stuck in the mud. Abraham had heard it a dozen times, but it was always a good one, especially when Andre told it. Who said what? Abraham asked, turning his attention back to Eugen. That it would thunder. The monkey. Monkey? asked Abraham. He wondered if perhaps Eugen was referring to an animal in the castle's new collection. 
Damnu Negascrew hadn't invited him up to see it, but he knew Yujin did a lot of work there and might have been one of the workers who built the cages. Only I'm not sure it's really a monkey, said Yujin, leaning in closer to Abraham. It has these red eyes. Said the thunder would come. His voice was slurring. Maybe this was why Yujin had switched to tea. Thunder during a funeral was another Wallachian superstition. It meant more death was coming. Abraham was considering whether to ask more about this monkey with red eyes when he heard a clanking noise from the hallway. The door opened slightly. He looked up to see Mate backing his way in, holding a tray in both hands. The baker looked around for a place to set it down. Eon rose and started to clear wine bottles off the dresser, but Abraham said, Here's fine. I don't think this game's going anywhere good. He swept the pieces into their case and removed the board. Mate set his tray down and removed the cover, revealing a number of small, freshly baked cakes, a loaf of bread, butter, and a bit of sliced sausage. Eugen's eyes widened and he tore off a piece of bread and took a huge bite. Soren got up and fetched a bowl from the side of the room. He reached in, counted out a number of paras, and gave the coins to Mate. Villagers would have been coming over the last two days and leaving a few coins to help the family pay for funeral expenses, which could add up to several piastres once everything was paid for. Mate took the coins with a small bow, then Soren handed him a glass and filled it. While Mate chatted with the other men, Abraham pulled Eon aside. Did Dobnul Negerscrew come down? he asked. He sent Nikolai, said Eon. He barely asked me any questions. I told him Kwasi and I had found the had found Cornell after we saw Lucia, and that was pretty much all he wanted to know. Hmm. Well, I suppose he wants his son to start learning about the law. Right, but this is a murder. I don't think Nicolay knows. Well, I guess I wouldn't know how to investigate a murder, but I just thought Don Negascrew would have known more about what to do. Or Vlad, maybe. Do you think they'll find out who did this, Father? Nicolay wouldn't even come to see the body in the Andre's house. I don't know, Eon. Was there anyone Cornell had angered? Did you see him interact with any of Crown Dracula's men? I can't think of anyone in particular. Why would anyone want to hurt Cornell? Mate had finished his drink and was excusing himself. It's good to see you all. I am terribly sorry for your loss, Andre, he said. Father, I'll have Loreline bring up the burial loaves for you after lunch, and I'll have the cakes ready for the pomina. It'll be at the Zarda? Andre nodded. Mate turned to leave. Then Andre said, Mate, Cornell loved your pretzels. Of course, said Mate. The pomina was the traditional funeral feast held after a burial. Cornell's favorite fruits, including Mate's soft pretzels, would be served, and each guest would receive a small cake, a jug of wine, and a candle in the deceased memory. It could be a lot of work for the local baker. Abraham got up and joined Mate at the door. I'll see everyone tomorrow. They walked together down the stairs. As Mate untied his horse, Abraham said, How is Marley doing? She's... I don't know, father. She says she's fine, but... Mate sighed. You can tell when your daughter is putting on a show for you. She spends a lot of time in her room with her books. I guess that's not unusual for her. I'll come look in on her when I can. I should have called earlier, said Abraham. He put on his hat and walked in the rain toward the church's hill. At noon, Abraham returned to Andre's house to preside over the ceiling of the coffin. He walked with the men in the rain as they carried it out to the cart waiting in the street. I'd have hoped the Ispravnik would suspect someone and send them here, said Sorin. It was believed that if the accused were brought to see the body, its wounds would open fresh so that everyone could see they were in the presence of the murderer. I was in the castle this morning, said Eon. The order of the dragon's captain told us Nicolay had asked him to have his men start asking questions. Evgeny, that's the captain, said that having someone in uniform often got more results. They were going to visit some of the Romani camps, too. Soren made a grunt, as if to say, well, at least that's something. Rain or no, funerals are always held just before twilight in the open air so that the deceased spirit could follow the setting sun to heaven. Family and friends gathered at a small altar in the cemetery below the church's walls for the mass, then walked together to the gravesite. Since Cornell was unmarried, Eon, Stefan, and several other unmarried men had been asked to bear the casket. 
After it had been lowered into the grave, Eon was given the honor of smashing the jar containing the water Cornell's body had been washed with. As the jar broke against the coffin in the open grave, a bright flash lit the sky, followed closely by a crack of thunder. Several of those assembled gasped. A few made the sign of the cross. No one said anything. Then Abraham Eugen mutter, said there would be thunder. Those red eyes. The crowd began to murmur. Abraham clearly heard the word Strigoi. Looking around, Abraham could see that everyone was on edge. A murder. A werewolf. Now thunder during a funeral, which they thought meant another death would come soon. He tried to think of something to say, but knew how fast the Wallachian held to his superstition. Had anyone really expected him to decide there couldn't be a burial? Whether Cornell had been murdered or attacked by an animal, he'd looked for a Christian burial to bring relief. Yet, he'd seen a few people looking around uncomfortably, as if they weren't completely sure it was right to be there. If, in their eyes, Cornell's spirit wasn't at rest, it might be coming for them. Abraham would have to find a way to reassure everyone. In the meantime, he turned his attention to the distribution to the needy. Those who were hungry could come to a funeral and receive a loaf of bread and a copper para coin each. Abraham had given Dumitri the job of handing out the seven loaves Lorline had delivered earlier. They'd rehearsed his line several times before the service. As our brother goes to be with the Heavenly Father, so may you be sustained with these here on earth. As Dimitri distributed the bread and coins, the mourners lined up to begin the march to the feast. Walking from the cemetery directly to the village square would only take 25 minutes or so, but a funeral procession was required to cross running water so that the deceased spirit could not try to follow along and stay with the living. Thus, the group processed west to the river, crossed it, then south a short way, then back across the river, finally arriving at the Sarda after the sun had set. The rain had stopped around the time they'd reached the river, but everyone was still wet, cold, and shocked to be processing toward a funeral feast for a young man whose life had been taken from him. Tante Angela welcomed everyone into the inn as they arrived. The Pomina feast would start after an hour or so. First, there would be drinking. Abraham decided they could do that without him for a few minutes and walked over to the bakery. Dora sat outside. She seemed to have been working on some knitting, but had abandoned the project to watch the funeral procession as it marched through the square. She stood and gave a curtsy when he arrived. Good evening, Dora. Is Marley in? Hi, Father. She's upstairs. Abraham went inside, exchanged a few words with Mate and Lorelein, then went upstairs and knocked on Marley's door. Come in, said Marley's voice from inside. He opened the door slowly. Marley was sitting on her bed. She'd been writing in a book with a deep blue cover, which she put away and tucked under her pillow as he entered. She swung her bad leg around, put her weight on the other, and started to stand to greet him. Please sit. I've just had... Well, you know, I'm sure. The funeral, yes. I wanted to check in on you. I'm sorry I haven't come by yet. There's been, well, there's been a lot to do, but I should have made the time. I have some books I'm sure you'll like. A fairly new German play about a man who makes a deal with a devil. Marley, who was still halfway between sitting and standing, winced as she put weight on her leg and decided she'd remain seated after all. How is it? asked Abraham. Oh, it's not so... Well, honestly, it hurts a lot sometimes. Not constantly, but there are times. It's getting better, I think. He got the impression she hadn't admitted this to many others. Though he'd barely seen her since her arrival last week, he knew her well enough to know there was more to the story of her leg than what had been said. He also knew not to press. They're saying it was a precolich. Oh, Marley, there's no... I know. Werewolves aren't real. They're a story made up by someone in Transylvania or Germany or wherever. Probably just people afraid of wolves. I meant, that's what they're saying. They are, yes. How do we calm them down? We? Marley, that's for me. Don't you worry about that. I know. I just know you're worried about it. I think you know... I think we know there are worse things than werewolves. Abraham gave Marley a nod, then stepped back to the door. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. Come up the hill for a chat soon, okay? Yes, Father. Thank you for listening. This chapter was originally published in September 2019. 
At the time, readers were asked to vote on whether Domino Negusgru would take the town's belief that there was a werewolf on the loose seriously or not. Would he pledge to find the werewolf or try to calm the town down and search for the human murderer? As it doesn't constitute a spoiler, just a character direction, I'll go ahead and divulge the vote. Radu believes werewolves to be a myth. He'll try to calm the people down and search for Cornell's murderer. Though I'm not telling whether he's right or not. We'll have to find out in time. Next chapter, Marley goes to a pub and another visitor arrives in town. 